Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hai Chen Bui. I'm a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area and a contributor to USA Today. My name is Anastasia Crittenden. I am an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in D.C. So Willoughby, what are we talking about in our last podcast of the year today? So our last podcast of the year is going to be about Star Wars The Force Awakens and our top five pop culture stuff of the year. So like events, movies, TV, anything that's that happened in pop culture, we're going to be talking about it. So think about like our love-hate segment that we do at the end of every episode, but it's just one big love for the whole year. Exactly. Which makes it really hard because there was a lot of stuff this year. Mm-hmm. But that's a good transition because one of the biggest things of the entire year just happened, and that would be Star Wars The Force Awakens, which I think is well on to being the biggest film of the year and maybe the biggest movie of all time. Oh, definitely. I I definitely think so. Yeah. So we've all seen it, and we're just going to be talking about it. It's going to be spoiler-free. We're just going to be talking about like our reactions, how we feel about it in general, uh, so don't be afraid of spoilers. Um, obviously, if you haven't seen it and you're like super wary, maybe listen to this a bit later. But we're going to be as spoiler free as possible. Yeah. So Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Little brief summary. It is set 30 years after Return of the Jedi, and basically there are once again two factions fighting over the galaxy. We have the First Order, which is sort of a fanatical faction that has risen from the ashes of the Empire. And we have the Resistance, which is working with the Republic against the First Order. And the whole goal, the whole kind of thing right now is that the First Order is trying to find Luke Skywalker, who is missing. And they want to find him and destroy him because they don't want good guys, Jedis, etc. And the Resistance obviously does not want that. Um, So... Before we just get into that, like, Luke Skywalker is just, he's gonna, his story's gonna come later. I don't think he's gonna be a big part of our discussion. And no, he won't be. a lot more happens in this movie besides him, and I think that's important. Uh, so that's kind of where we are in this film, is that we have these two factions again fighting. And who's gonna come out on top? We don't know. So, yeah. uh, Willoughby, let's go with you first. What was your um, reaction to the film? How did, what did you think of it? I really, 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 really loved it. Uh, I thought that it was, first of all, it's better than the prequels. We can get that out of the way. It's just better. It's, well, better made, better story, better action, Action. better better acted. Everything about that movie, everything about what we just saw this weekend is better than all three prequel movies combined. Like, it's just so good. Um... And so after that, I really loved the characters. I think that this movie, if anything, the strengths really are drawn from the characterizations of each of each individual character that we get in this movie. Um, our fir- one of the first people we meet is Poe Dameron, X-Wing pilot. Holla, uh, Poe Dameron. <laughs> Your boy. My boy. Leader of, leader of Black Squadron. Um, he is uh, just so charismatic and so energetic and so lifelike and so like real uh one of the first scenes he has is with kylo ren and it's completely unexpected i thought it was gonna be you know you think that this it's gonna be like kind of like a traditional 
like bad guy captures good guy and they have a, a talk or something. But it, <laughs> the first thing that out of Poe's mouth when he when he's captured by Kylo Ren, kind of spoiler alert, uh, it's very <laughs> early, very brief, very early in the movie this happens, so it's not an issue. Um, and he go and uh, Poe Dameron just goes, "So who talks first? You do I talk? Do you talk?" Like he ha- he he like tries to like like mess around with Kylo Ren before things get real. So I, I well, found that I like- really. Yeah, I think it sets the tone for the movie really early on. Yeah, in right. a good way. It bring back it brings back like the humor of I think the original trilogy that was missing, especially in the prequels, um, and also this sort of it infuses this sort of modern, self aware, quippy humor that we've been seeing in a lot of movies today, but in not the way that it's like overwrought. It's it's good. It's like it feels organic, organic. You might even ah. say. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm done with puns for the day. All right, HT. <laughs> but yeah, and I think I think that's one thing that this movie does really well is that all the new characters we have, I feel like, with the exception of I think Captain Phasma, um, who, if you're excited for Captain Phasma, you should temper that excitement a little bit. Um, luckily it's confirmed she will be in episode 8, so we will be getting more Phasma, but I think other than her, all the new characters, I think we get a really good sense of them pretty quickly in a, like, mm-hmm. a really natural way. Mm. And yeah, I think I, that's I what's really great agree. about this movie, is that the new characters are honestly the best part of this film. Like, I think they're better than Han and Leia and Chewie. I agree. They stand out the most. They get the most screen time, the most kind of rich, uh, delving into their stories. Like, we know all about Han and Leia already. We don't need to yeah. find out more about them. I mean, there's, like, that whole lost time period between um, Return of the Jedi and this movie. But, you know, it's implied... It, it, in the few um, interactions that they have, you can see all the lost years that they have between them and that kind of relationship already. And the movie should be about the new characters. Like, this mm-hmm. shouldn't be... This movie, um, I mentioned this in my review of it, but, like, this movie is at its best when it looks forward. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. This movie shouldn't yeah. just sit and rest on the original trilogy. I will say, though, um, going into some of my criticisms of the movie, um, it does have this sort of reverent, worshipful look towards the original trilogy. There are a lot of parallels towards um, A New Hope and... In both, like both visually and structurally, the plot is almost like carbon copy of A New Hope, and, and you know it's not bad. It's good to like make an homage to the original, but sometimes I feel like it relies too much on like that goodwill and that love towards the original trilogy, and doesn't allow itself to breathe creatively as much. I agree, and I feel like it just it falls a little flat, mm-hmm. and I feel. I feel like the new characters are the saving grace. If these new characters weren't as interesting and likable and just kind of instantly, like, you instantly connected with them, I feel like if they weren't that good, mm-hmm. then the, you would you would notice the plot problems and the story problems of this movie a lot more. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you notice them, but luckily the new characters are so full of this new energy that they kind of distract you from the simple sometimes a little stale plot. I agree. And yeah. we have to talk about the best character, Ray, played by Daisy Ridley. She was just a standout in this film and definitely my favorite character of the film and possibly the whole new franchise. I agree. What, Willoughby, what did you think of Ray? Oh, I loved Ray. I thought she was a, a, 
uh, a ray of sunshine. <laughs> and the puns don't stop. Definitely a, a newer hope uh, for this next generation. Uh, like, and we were saying that, you know, the, the story is definitely at its best when it's about the new characters and this new story is about Ray, which may, which makes this whole endeavor really fascinating because we haven't had a female led Star Wars movie yet. And I think this is the first time that we're going to get her and she's an amazing character and like so full of life and like, and and personality and just everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I think she, she and has really like, good chemistry with everyone else. Like everyone just works so well together. Yeah, um, everyone is a well-oiled machine when it comes to acting with other people on screen. Like you can tell that they're having fun mm-hmm. playing these characters and it's but it it's just great. Like there's a a moment when uh when Rey is interact like every interaction Rey has with Han Solo is just great because they're basically like it's they're talking about this the they're overlapping sentences and they're saying like the same things about the falcon and just like it's they have this reverence for the ship it's it's so great same with her and finn i think she and finn have this really great immediate chemistry that's really fun and i can also say the same thing about poe and finn Mm. um which is why i just like all these new characters they're so much fun watching them they're great individually they immediately they're great together Mm -hmm. Um, I think that would be another thing is that, and this isn't actually, like, a bad thing about the film, but, like, these characters are almost so great that I could watch a movie without any action and just watch these characters interact together. Like, Poe and Finn, they, like I could watch them have, together. like, a buddy, a buddy movie for, like, two hours. Honestly, like, yeah. a lot of the sequences with with uh, Poe and Finn, and then with uh, Finn and Ray, felt like buddy comedy sequences, and the, I enjoyed it every mo- every minute of it. I was just like, I could watch a whole hour of this. But yeah, I think yeah, those like, character connections are really important, especially considering like, how fast the movie moves, and just like there's just action, action, and then suddenly like they have to you know feel really connected and feel really um, emotionally connected to each other. So it's like, oh, wow, this is actually really believable. And I think at times, sometimes, I felt like there could have been a little less action. Mm-hmm. To be honest, this is the best Star Wars has ever looked, like, really action. Mm-hmm. Like, these dogfights between the TIE Fighters and X-Wings are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They are exciting. It is the best this franchise has ever looked. But there were times I wanted them to scale a little bit back on that and have more character stuff. There's um, a scene with Han Solo and Chewie and some other minor characters I'm not going to say like exactly what it is, but it's kind of this longish scene that I felt could have been easily cut. It didn't add anything to the plot, and it could have been cut for other character moments. Um, I felt like it was clear there was some stuff left on the cutting room floor, mm-hmm. and I think that they could have sacrificed that scene for something else. Or stuff we'll that they're... A... Oh, sorry. Or stuff that they're um, saving for the next film, because I felt like they left a lot of that to be explored later. True, true. Yeah. This is definitely setting up a, a new trilogy, and I think they did a really good job of doing that um, yeah, with these I new agree. characters. And I think that, you know, I, I, we're all saying we want to see more of these characters, and I think that's a really great indication of how great this movie is. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, we want to we live in, the, in this world again with these new, new characters and this new generation of, of heroes. Agreed. 
Yeah, and I'm really, um, I'm really surprised. I'm gonna go into another character bit, but like, I, I think we've kind of determined that like we tend to like good guys, um, and I think Poe, Finn, and Ray are the best new characters, and I'm excited to watch them on their journey, and they're fantastic. But I was really surprised at how much I liked Kylo Ren. I do not like bad guys on the whole. I was fully expecting to be bored by him. <laughs> and I don't know if it's Adam Driver's performance or the writing or both, but he was actually one of the most interesting characters in the whole film for me. And I think that they are setting him up for a really interesting arc. I don't want to give too much away, but I think he could possibly have a great arc in this new trilogy and possibly an even more interesting arc than Vader himself. I could definitely see him, like we were talking about last time with our Star Wars podcast, um, becoming the Zuko of this trilogy. Um, if you don't know who Zuko is, he is a character from Avatar The Last Airbender who starts off as the main villain against the group of heroes and then kind of goes through this really great redemption arc and, and, and becomes the greatest anti-hero to be shown on television, I still think. And... Um, he always he always struggles with his identity and stuff, and I definitely feel like we saw a little bit bit of that with Kylo Ren. Um, I actually expected to to like him more. Uh, I I saw your review actually of it on Facebook, Anya. So I was like, oh okay, Kylo Ren. I'm really excited now. I want him to be the Zuko of this of this series. Um, but I kind of he he kind of left me a little cold, especially like with one of the last actions he does in the film, which we won't spoil. But I I felt like it might be harder to redeem him almost because of that. See, I see what you mean, and God, it's really hard not doing it with spoilers. Um, I will tell you after the podcast, but there's a specific reason why I think, even despite that scene, he could have a, an interesting arc that could possibly a redemption arc. Maybe, I will tell you afterwards. But I also think it's interesting, I think we're coming at it from two different expectation places. I was fully expecting him to be boring, and I'd be not interested in him at all. So I think my expectations for him were so low that because he was even a little bit better than I was expecting, I liked him more, and you were kind of expecting this more of this, like, you. we had these grand ideas of him being the Zuko, and maybe expectations were a little higher for you, and so I think that's part of it with you and I, with Kylo Ren. And it's still only the first movie, so I exactly. could be wrong. And, and, you know, like, people have been redeemed from worse things, so... Um, yeah. I'm excited. Also, I was... This is just a personal point for me. I was incredibly distracted by how fabulous his hair looked. I was just like, that is... Oh my god, his hair looks so great. Like, look at that mane. His evil, feathered, Farrah Fawcett hair. You I would mean, think he would have helmet hair, but he really doesn't. No, my like... biggest dilemma in this film was, am I attracted to Adam Driver? I cannot tell. Like, mm-hmm. I know that I love Poe Dameron. He's my favorite. He's still my boy. I love him. But, like, I'm very confused if I'm supposed to be attracted to Adam Driver. I don't know. I still see him as um, Adam from Girls, so I couldn't... I've never him. seen Girls, so... He's... He, I have a complex relationship with him, but yeah. His, his hair is too fabulous. It's like he got a blowout of the salon every time he put his helmet on or something. It's so fabulous. Really, it's really incredible. I was like... I First thing after he took his helmet off, I was like, what a head of hair. <laughs> yep. It's like Andrew yep. Garfield and putting on the Spider-Man mask. You'd think it would be, you know, had hair, but nope. <laughs> just like this giant mane comes out. And, like, for all those people who thought it was going to be Luke Skywalker, we're going to shut you down. Mm-hmm. Just stop yeah. that. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just crazy. I'm so glad that that is like, that's going to be put to rest forever. <laughs> yeah, and, so and the thing is, also about 
we're talking about when he takes off his helmet. He only takes his, his helmet off in a couple of spots, and it, they're very poignant spots um, to take yes. his helmet off at. And it's really like it's not done. He doesn't put his helmet on. It's not a battle helmet. It's like it. it it's a mask. You know, it's a mask, but it, it's also what his he wants his face to be. Mm-hmm. It's in symbolic a of his connection to dark, the dark side, kind of exactly. Yeah, and Vader. Mm-hmm. And Vader, yeah. Yeah. So I really, I really liked um, how they how they did that, where he didn't just take it off willy nilly. It was for very key moments. Mm-hmm. And I also think they hinted at this in interviews and stuff. But his his relationship with General Hux, played by Donald Gleason, um, I really liked because they hinted, you know, they're both in the dark side, but they come from very two different points of view. Obviously, Kylo is force sensitive, and Hux is not. He's a general. He's all about order, um, and. Kylo is very much more chaotic, and very I much liked, more emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, very emotional, um, which I really like, and I liked their interactions <laughs> partially because there's part of me that just sees them as because you know uh, Supreme Leader Snoke is like the big guy pulling the strings, sort of in a Palpatine way, mm-hmm. and they're but it's very funny watching them. They're kind of like these little like brothers, like vying for the attention of Dad, just like punching yeah. each other like on the arm. It's so great. I like. I kind of love it. And I, I wasn't sure how I felt about Donald Gleason's performance at first, which left me a little disappointed because I think he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. But the more I get away from the film, and I'm seeing it again today, so I'm expecting to have new thoughts. But the more I get away from the film, the more I actually like his performance, where at first I thought it was over the top in a bad way. I'm now realizing that his over the top performance as Hux is actually a really good character study and a really good like character performance in showing the fact that Hawks like is a fanatic Mm, I guess I wasn't a fan because it reminded me too much of like Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending levels of (laughs) overacting you know just like shouting and making the most ridiculous faces it felt almost cartoonish in a way See, that's how I felt immediately in the theater, and mm-hmm. then I guess I thought more about it, and I appreciated it more, but I, I don't know. I think I, I have to watch it again today, and mm-hmm. I'll yeah. see how I feel. I, I, I've seen it twice now at the time of this recording, uh, and I I have to side more with Anya on General Hux. I think that his fanaticism is part of his character, and I think it's, you know, when when, when you see how in, how bombastic he gets at one point, I I I think it's definitely within character for for that for that to happen but I also think that his acting was a little much and I but 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 you know, if you look at it from like the inter the in universe version of General Hux I think it makes sense but from an outside from a from an audience perspective looking at a, an actor who's just over the top like that can get can be a little rough around the edges. Yeah, I think it goes back and forth. But he did, there were some important things, I think, with his performance that reminded me a lot of real-life dictators and their sort of fanaticism and wanting order and, like, wanting things to be a certain way. Um, It was, there were some very moments that were reminiscent of the way Hitler ruled Nazi Germany, which I do not think is in any way accidental. No, Star Wars has always been a conservative franchise and they have always drawn World War II parallels. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. I don't think it's any no doubt. British space Nazis. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and all the bad guys are British. <laughs> yeah, and Kylo Ren's helmet is very indicative of a Gestapo helmet. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I was just surprised at how interesting the dark side was. Even though the good guys are better, 
I was yeah. very surprised yeah. at how they developed these characters. Yeah, like we're still. It's clear that the the point of view is definitely from the good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like with Star Wars, they give you scenes with the bad guys and just you see how bad they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. They, you, oh, continue. And then you see how good uh, our good guys are, mm-hmm. and I really like that. Where uh, even though Finn, who we know from marketing, he's a defecting stormtrooper, he never really has like a moment of uh, like he's always good he's never he never is bad mm-hmm. he may have moments of doubt in himself and in and th- what he's doing but he never actively goes against anybody on the good side yeah i'd be interested to see more of the um the first order's effect on finn because we don't really delve into that because he's just kind of a fugitive on the run for most of the time and like basically the one emotion he has towards the first order is you know a fear but, um, you know, he's been raised, uh, I guess, kind of spoilers, he's been raised by the First Order his entire life, and we don't really see his, like, his kind of um, struggle with, you know, leaving this group, this community that, you know, he only, he knew his entire life, he didn't know anything else. So I'd, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, yeah I yeah. agree. I think, I think a lot happened in this movie, very action-packed. Mm-hmm gave you bits and pieces but I'm I'm looking forward to episodes 8 and 9 hopefully exploring more emotional depth with the characters mm-hmm. and more about them as people and where they fit into this new status quo mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that like this movie just being the introduction of this new world um, was just kind of scraping the surface and then we'll get more yeah. in later episode films it did feel much, very much like move from plot point A to plot point B and plot point C, like, things move very quickly, but they all happened with purpose, and it was very brisk. Um, yes. Um, and, like, you know, it, it, it's not a bad thing. They all felt, all the characters felt like, you know, cogs in this big mythic destiny machine, but they yeah. still shined in their separate parts and separate screens, which was good. So, I think another um, standout for me was, well, two more, <laughs> that aren't human, um, I think Lupita Nyong'o as Maz uh, Kanata was fantastic. I really oh, liked amazing. her. I'm, I love I'm, her. I'm still a little disappointed that we didn't get to see Lupita's beautiful face and everything, especially as a woman of color. Mm-hmm. But the performance she did get, give made me feel a little bit better about that because she's, like, even with motion capture, she is so great. Mm-hmm. I almost so recognized her voice. It was just, it was a great performance, like. And the character herself is also really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I would not mind seeing more of her. I agree with yeah. that. I also think the other star of the movie is BB-8. Oh, yeah. He's BB-8. A puppy dog. Let's talk about He's BB-8. a puppy. Because he, you know, is all over the toy mer- merchandising, and it's easy to be like, oh, I'm so sick of BB-8, and just kind of, he's just a children's toy. But he actually works really well in the film. Like, he, his interactions with all the characters are great and very natural. And I never... any. Never at any point does he feel like he's just being shoehorned in for merchandising purposes. He's right. He does. He's definitely not like Jar Jar from Phantom Menace, where mm-hmm. there, you know, Jar Jar's face was plastered everywhere and on yeah. everything. And I think that uh, you know people were excited because they didn't know much about him, and they were really disappointed. And then with BB-8, 
we knew he was like the new R2-D2, and we thought, oh, he's just going to be derivative of that. But he really brings a different sense of like droid personality that we haven't seen, mm-hmm. whereas R2 is kind of like a little shit. And, <laughs> yep, he's and a troll. C3- and C-3PO is totally, like, the butler guy. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems to me that BB-8 is more of, like, he's very similar to Poe in this in that se- in the same sense of, like, he's, he's, he knows what side he's on, and he wants good, he wants to be good and to do good things. He has uh, a personality, and he seems to also, like, he can, he has a conscience, like, mm-hmm. or yeah. consciousness, like, he can make conscious decisions. And he, like, he sighs, and he lets out excited, like, whoops and holler. Like, he is a fully realized character, even though he's just a droid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, there's a moment where he he has some bad news, and he, like, walks off off off, off the, the, the stage, or, like, you know, walks away from the other characters who gave him the, the bad news, and he has his head down. And I'm just like, that's such a human thing to do, but it works so well for this character. Mm. I wonder if droids are influenced by their masters. I think they are. Because he's, um, because Poe Dameron Poe. is his master. And yeah. Poe is obviously, like, a very emotional, kind of hot rod type of person. Wears his emotions on his sleeves, so that might be the fact. So, overall, I think we have this feeling of plot can be a little simple, like uh, HT was saying, very point A to point B to point C, and sometimes it's a little detrimental, and sometimes it's a little slow, but the new characters uh, put this life into this movie that really elevates it, and I think sets up for a really great new trilogy. That is a perfect summary, Anya. <laughs> very good. Um, I think that's that's the Millennial Falcon's stance on uh, The Force Awakens. Yes. And though we didn't mention them much, Han and Chewie and Leia, it, it's great to see them. Mm-hmm. They have some wonderful moments, but rightfully so, they are not the centerpieces of this film. Agreed. True. And they're great. And I also think that we also just can't talk about them much because they're very spoilery. Yes. Oh, yeah. Everything that they do, there's a, there's a level of sp- of spoilerness that we can't talk about because it'll ruin the movie. Agreed. So, so any final thoughts? Um, I just, I'd recommend it for people who want to see a really, really fun movie this year, even if they're not really much into Star Wars. I think that, you know, we all know the characters of the original trilogy. They're so imbued in and embedded in our society that, like, you could watch an adventure of Han Solo and only and and understand what's going on because you know who Han Solo and Chewbacca are. So I think that this would be this is a good movie for like everyone in America. I remember I saw the okay. So my Thursday night screening was full of nerds who are seeing it on Thursday night, but my Friday night screening was was a, a really mixed bag of like every demographic you can imagine mm-hmm. to see seeing the Star Wars. That's like it really wasn't exciting. just nerds. It was like you know parents with their little kids. It was you know people of like you know people of color, people white people. Like everyone was in like you could you could see everyone in the theater, and they were all like Americans and people who were like wanting to see this movie. I think definitely it's a movie that will touch every generation, and will everyone will be able to connect with it. It's. A universal film, yeah, like Willoughby was exactly. saying. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Agreed. Although the film itself, I have to admit, it did feel it did feel a little millennial to me. Yeah, it was. Yeah. In a good way. I'm, our, our characters were our age. They yeah. were, you know, 
pri- prime of their life. Mm-hmm. It was exciting. Also, one last note, really fantastic new score. Oh, quality I new score. I would say that, too. Like, all day today, I've been listening to Ray's theme in particular. I really love Ray's theme. Yeah, it's a top-notch score. Mm-hmm. So overall, we really like it. Everyone should go yes. see it. I'm sure everyone will. Yes, recommend. <laughs> it's going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's already made over $120 million on Friday. Wow. Woo! Well, That's exciting. It was worth the wait, everyone, and I hope you like it as much as we did. Yes. All right. All right. Let's Let us... move on to our next segment. Okay, so... Our main, our main subject of today's episode, top five. Mm-hmm. Yes, top five, this can be literature, TV shows, movies, events, music, anything just kind of pop culture are top five things of the year. Obviously, it's been a long year. It's hard to narrow down. So before we get into, like, our specific top fives, we want to just have some honorable mentions of things that we liked from the year but didn't quite make the cut into our top five. So, HT, what are some of your honorable mentions? All right, my honorable mentions are Ex Machina, featuring a pre-Star Wars Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaac, the best cast before of 2015 before 2015 happened. Um, <laughs> it's a great, um, beautifully simple AI movie. Um, it's kind of a lot quieter, along the lines of um, Her, those kind of films. Um, so I would recommend that. Creed, uh, which I talked about last podcast, I think. It is the newest movie in the Rocky franchise and about Apollo Creed's son who gets trained by Rocky. Crimson Peak, which despite not having the strongest story is so beautifully visually decadent and is just a love letter to my favorite literary genre, gothic romance, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Not scary. Well, scary in some points, but not a true true and tried horror film. Um, Sicario, which starred Emily Blunt and Benicio del Toro. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve directed it and it's a really great kind of unsettling film about the drug trade in, um, and the drug war between Mexico and America and I want to do a shout out for Roger Deakins cinematography in that yes. movie it's because it's quality show. and I'm still confused how he doesn't have an Oscar yet he needs one hopefully I feel like Sicario will unfortunately get buried underneath all the Oscar nominees because it came out so early and especially like Revenant for its cinematography and everything mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. But um, he needs one. Yes. Some, someday, hopefully. I don't <laughs> know how old he is, but he, I'm sure he has plenty of time to prove himself in Hollywood. And then my last honorable mention is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3, which has been killing it this season and may actually be topping all the other superhero shows on air. Um, it's just so tightly plotted and... Had, okay, all the problems that I have with Once Upon a Time, dropping all the plot threads and not making full use of their characters, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing right because they weave together all these great storylines and in the best way and actually develop their characters as they should. So I dropped Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in season one when it was still pretty bad Mm -hmm. um, and before it got better. So you're saying that I should go back and give it another shot. I definitely give it another shot. You can definitely skim through a bunch of season one, but once it hits, I think the episode was turn, turn, turn. Again, it's a big turning point for the show. It uh, coincides with Captain America uh, Winter Soldier and definitely has big ramifications for S.H.I.E.L.D. because Winter Soldier, for anyone who has not seen it, is about the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, the downfall of S.H.I.E.L.D. All right, I'll give it another shot. Please do. Yes. Please. 
All right, okay. Willoughby, what are your honorable mentions of the year? Okay, I have a couple of overlaps with HD, so I won't go into the. Well, I won't go much into those. I'll just list them. Um, but I have some others. Uh, so first up, I have Creed, uh, the Rocky spinoff, uh, and then I have Inside Out, which was Pixar's fifteenth movie. Uh, I thought I really, really, really loved it, um, but I have other things that are higher up on my list that I loved even more, uh, and that also have a more of a personal connection to myself. Uh, I really loved Inside Out for what they did with like uh, what goes on inside someone's head, which you know, people, you know, we nowadays it's it's easy to forget that everyone else is another person with thoughts and feelings, and I think that this movie really explored how we all think. And I think that, it, you know, we take us, we can take a step back and see that everyone is human. Got to include that in my honorable mentions too, but I completely agree with you. And mm-hmm. it definitely, it was the only Pixar movie without a villain basically, but it went into some really great mature themes about how we experience emotion and how we deal with that. And Although I, did you know that in original storyboarding, there was a villain? Really? Was it, was it going to be depression? Yeah, so I, when I went to D23, I saw the Inside Out panel with Pete Docter and Jonas Rivera and Phyllis Smith, and they talked about how, in the beginning, there was going to be this depression character that was sort of the villain, and what it was, it was like this black ooze mm. that would take over, that would sort of like seep seep into headquarters mm-hmm. and kind of take over. It kind of, the way they described it made me think of that black ooze from um, Ferngully, I think. Okay. Was it a black ooze in Ferngully? I don't know, I never I've saw never it. I've never seen it. <laughs> oh my god, H2, H2 I was relying on you. I I'm thought sorry. you would have known Fern Gully. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, whoops. But yeah, it was supposed to be like this like weird kind of like dark ooze that would just kind of take over headquarters slowly. Um, but I'm glad they didn't go that route. Mm-hmm. I like that they portrayed, I mean, she really did go through depression. So I really like they portrayed it as this almost lack of emotion or just shutting down all your emotions um, and not being able to process them so i thought yeah. that was even that was an even better way of portraying that so inside out beautiful film yeah yes, very much. uh and next on my honorable mentions and just for clarification if we had like a top 15 or a top 10 list instead of a top five these would all be on that list but it's just like we we decided to do top five because you know that's how we wanted to do things. Um, it would not be. A, it would be a two-hour podcast, basically, if we did a top yeah. fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So, so the so I also have Ex Machina, which HT you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have I put superhero TV in an umbrella as an honorable mention. I really liked. I really like what superhero television is doing right now with Agents of Shield, with the Flash, with Arrow, with Supergirl. Um, I thought I think that they are all doing really a really great job of telling excellent stories with the medium. Um, you know, we talk a lot about superhero movies, but I don't think superhero TV gets enough credit. But I think now now that now it's starting to with 2015. You know, we see Supergirl, which I, I don't know if you guys been following, but I have uh, been. I, I love it. I, I am we, the, two episodes behind. Okay, so I won't say anything, but like just everything that they they've been doing has been really excellent and like a good first season. And the Flash is in their second season and it's doing a great job. Arrow's in its fourth and it's it's doing th- different things now. Um, and I don't watch Gotham. Uh, I, I I don't think it's I think it's the one the I one like 
the one problem in the superhero TV genre. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as H.T. said, has been killing it this year. So I really like what superhero TV is doing, and I really am excited to see where 2016 leads with even more TV shows probably and more stories to tell. Um, Next on my list is Mr. Robot, which is USA Network's uh, new show that came out in the summer with uh, Rami Malek and Christian Slater. I thought this show was really great, um, and I thought it was just really well executed. Um, the other uh, two honorable mentions I have are uh, a book by Aziz Ansari, Modern Romance. Uh, I really loved it. it was, it's all about uh, romance in the modern world, which, I mean, that's the title, but like talking about like online dating, online communication, texting, and how... Uh, he actually paired up with a sociologist to write this book, mm. and uh, the two of them, they did like Reddit surveys and real surveys in real life, um, and they talked about they talked to like all the different dem- demographics of like old people who got married in the '40s versus people who are you know getting married now versus people who are dating now, you know, and he, and it's also kind of like a history of dating in the tw- from the 20th to the 21st century and how you know in the 80s and 90s online dating was a real there was a real like um bad image behind it and now you know plenty of people are getting married based off of you know di- uh meeting people on uh match.com or eharmony and i thought the book did a really great exploration of all of that so um that's one of my honorable mentions and my other one is hamilton the Broadway rap musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, I've been listening to that soundtrack nonstop since Anya told us about it in September. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I really I really have been enjoying all of those songs. Um, so yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, I mean, they, they're definitely like things I really loved this year, but top five, uh, everything else has like more, uh, more meaning for me. Yeah. All right. I only have a few honorable mentions and some overlaps. I also have Inside Out, which I think has been one of Pixar's best films. I am really gunning for it. I want it to get a Best Picture, not at the Oscars, not just Best Animated Film. I want it to get Best Picture. Uh, Maybe not necessarily win. I'm kind of pulling for Mad Max to come out and surprise everyone. Um, But I I think it would be really great for it to get a Best Picture, not at least. I think... The Academy, just because there's an animated category doesn't mean that I think they should be like, oh, it has a nomination in the animated category. We can not include it in picture. I think animated films need to start getting more recognition like that. Um, So Inside Out, for sure. I also think what was really great about that film was the way it gave parents a way to talk about mental illness and emotions and talking about those kind of things with their kids in a really accessible way. So I think that was really brave of Pixar to do. So, props to Pixar. Um, Also, superhero TV shows with special shout-outs to The Flash, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and Supergirl, which I think have all been really on point this year. Jessica Jones and Daredevil are, like, in their own category. They are phenomenal, both of them, in their own ways. Um, Flash is still going really strong. It's the most comic booky superhero show on TV right now, and I love it. I can't get enough. And then I think Supergirl started out a little weak, but I think especially as it got into its mid-season finale, it was so strong, and I love it. I love watching that show every week. It's phenomenal. Um, 
And then my last two are Star Wars, The Force Awakens. I didn't want to put it into my top five because I just saw it and I felt like I didn't have enough time to ruminate on it. I think it is far and away one of my favorite things of the year, but I just haven't had as much time to sit with it, um, I think. But it definitely gets an honorable mention because it's fantastic and it's one of the best things of the year by far. And then my last thing is Kingsman, The Secret Service. I forgot about that Which is the Matthew Bond. I forgot about that one, too. It's a great one. See, it's it's like everyone's like, they're always like, oh, yeah, I forgot about it. You know, understandably so, it came out in February. Mm -hmm. Um, But I own it on Blu-ray, and I make everyone who hasn't seen it watch it because I love it so much. I am also a really big fan of Matthew Bond. I think he's one of the best upcoming directors we have right now. Um, And I really like him. And I think he did a great job with Kingsman. I can't get enough of it. Um... I'll probably, yeah. I have a friend staying with me this weekend and she's never seen it. I'm probably going to show her. Nice. <laughs> um, I really, I really liked uh, X-Men first, first class. What, yeah, what same. And that. he also did Stardust, which is one of my favorite films of all did time. He? Yeah, he did Those Stardust. are very different tonally. Those are very different. <laughs> I know. This is why I love wow. Matthew Vaughn, you guys. Well, like, Matthew like, Vaughn kick, is so great. Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2 have their yeah. own vibe, which is well, very Well, he didn't do to Kick-Ass 2, remember. Yeah. He did Oh wait, he did. He went to Kick yeah. Ass, yeah. Kick Ass and yeah, Kingsman okay. have very are very similar in like tone yeah. and mood, but yeah. And I... X Men First Class is toned down to violence, but it still has like a very fast pace. But like Stardust is so different. Yeah, I know. This is why I love Matthew Vaughn, guys. I'm trying to tell everyone to look out for Matthew Vaughn. He's so great. So yeah, so Kingsman I think is still one of my favorite films of the year, mm-hmm. um, and I really like it. Um, it just didn't edge itself into the top five, but I think it's great. I also think Taron Edgerton is a guy to watch. I just saw yeah. his trailer for his new movie, Eddie the Eagle. Mm-hmm. And I actually really, it's with Hugh Jackman, and I think it looks like it could be a lot of fun. I wish so, good things for Taron. I think it's Egerton. Taron Egerton. Egerton, yeah. So he, I wanted him to be cast as, you know, they're uh, casting for young Han Solo. So, But he's not on the shortlist, which is very unfortunate because he seems like the most promising young actor to play. A young Ooh, he would be so good. I would like him as mm-hmm. Han Solo. Well, the, the short list right now is like 2,500 people. <laughs> no, I think they just released one with only like um, 15 Did or they? so. Yeah. Did they? Last time uh, I saw, okay. they had seen like 2,500 people. Okay, never mind that. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, who knows? I don't think they'll announce it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a very big decision for them to make. Yeah. But I could really see Taron as Han Solo. I would like that. Yeah, he's perfect. I want to see right, his American so... accent, but, you know. Yeah, true, true. But like, I don't want, they have that, yeah, Han has to be Han. Well, you know, British actors are better at American accents than most are. Like, they're taking true. over our They're a lot better than we are true. at accents. Yeah. True, yeah. I mean, I've just had, I've been, like, um, burned by Sam Worthington's American accent. Ugh. But Sam Even Worthington though, was, uh, I, they yeah. tried too hard to make him a thing. He yeah. did not happen. Mm-hmm. So... Can't wait for Han Solo 2019 with Sam Worthington. That's going to be excellent. Uh, I'm just kidding. Don't joke about that. <laughs> it might um, It's just as bad as that one guy. Who's that guy that was in Terminator Genesis? Jai Courtney. Like, oh, my Jai God. Jai Courtney. I have... Okay, so basically they tried to do something with Sam Worthington that they did with Hugh Jackman, and it didn't work out for Sam Worthington. And then literally when they rebooted Terminator, they did the same thing for J.I. Courtney, too. J.I. Courtney is, like, is a knockoff of Sam Worthington, which is Who's a knockoff something. of Hugh Jackman. I know. and Or even Gerard Butler. Like, 
these all these guys that they're trying to make into the next action hero who only different minor differences in their features and completely charmless. I'm always very aggravated whenever Hollywood does something like that, like obviously push a generic action star to be the next Hollywood star. Like, do you know who the next Hugh Jackman is, honestly? It's Channing Tatum, because Channing Tatum is likable, he's charming, he's funny. I think he's talented. I think so, too. He did a good job by, like, going into comedy and going to films and And I think he's, he's going to be actor. great as, like, a Gene Kelly-type character in Hail Caesar. So, like, mm-hmm. I think if you're going to bet on anyone, like, I think Channing Tatum has a chance to be the next Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. I was actually yeah. reading an I article think- recently, going into, like, a whole subplot of this, of this podcast, but, um... I read this article saying, like, Hollywood is trying to find, you know, the next Tom Cruise, your basic white brunette boy who's going to be the big (laughs) action star, when they should be looking for the next Will Smith. And they specifically pointed to Michael B. Jordan, who is phenomenal in Creed, and I haven't seen him in anything else, but I think he definitely has that charm and that star quality that could push him to the top. I completely agree. He he was really great in uh, Chronicle. Uh, yes. by the guy who did uh, Fantastic Four, but uh, they he Michael, but I've seen him in a couple of different things. He's really funny. He's really great. He's definitely like if anyone's looking for the next Will Smith, I think he would be number one for that. Mm-hmm. Although I'm excited to see where John Boyega goes too, because I really like him as well. He was good. He got oh his, yeah. His role was a lot more more comedic in Force Awakens than I thought, and I really thought he pulled that off. So and I think he was really good in Attack the Block as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was very, very good in Attack the Block. Um, All right, so now that our actor tangent is over, (laughs) (laughs) these are all the actors we're betting on in the future. Yes. (laughs) All right, so now our our top five, the big ones. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Do you want to go first? I will go first. Okay, my first top five is Mad Max Fury Road, starring Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, and directed by George Miller. It's a gorgeous, oversaturated, and adrenaline-filled movie with, like, a shopping, shockingly simple story, but it's very deep as well. Like, they have a lot of, it's, there's not much that happens in the plot, but there's so much of a rich backstory that you don't really need that. Um, so Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron, was, of course, a standout, but um, each character was fully fleshed out uh, without having to rely on a lot of clunky exposition. And it really was a film that, one of the few films today, I think, that really took advantage of its visual medium um, in embracing both its practical effects and its just celebration of bright colors and cinematography. Too often today we see action films which go for the blue and gray color palette, and Mad Max just completely uh, went over that. They're like, we're going to go with yellows and oranges and bright colors and we're an action movie and you should feel like the adrenaline is pumping through your blood. And the film is just a great simple film that I think was buried underneath the whole debates over feminism and stuff like that. But my number one. Um, So my next one is, I put this under an umbrella, cynical summer shows on unexpected networks. (laughs) (laughs) That is so you, H.G. Nice. So this includes Mr. Robot and Unreal Mr. Robot was on USA, and Unreal was on Lifetime, which are, you know, two cable networks that you wouldn't really think to have shows of the caliber that they are. Yeah, it's um, not prestige television. They're not prestige television. They're kind of just, like, junk TV that you put on in the summer and on the background while you do laundry or something. But um, Mr. Robot was probably one of the best shows of this 
year. So it's starring Rami Malek and Christian Slater, like we said before, and it was created by Sam Esmail. And it's about an antisocial, not too mentally stable hacker who gets caught up in this mysterious anarchist uh, group trying to bring down E Corp, this big bank, which um, Elliot, um, Rami Malek's character, calls Evil Corp. Um, it has a lot of shades of Fight Club and in its whole jaded with capitalism and modern culture outlook, but it kind of approaches it from a more self-aware, less reverent, distant take. So, And it also has beautiful cinematography that you wouldn't expect with a TV show that really emphasizes the whole the negative space in the screen and kind of increases that sense of Elliot's loneliness. It's a great show, lots of great twists and great acting from... Rami Malek and Christian Slater, who, you know, has been trying to get a TV show off the ground for years. <laughs> Did you guys watch that one where he's, like, a split personality? Yeah, I didn't watch any of his shows, I didn't watch honestly. it, but it got canceled fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw the pilot, and I was like, nope. <laughs> well, Mr. Robot, he finally got a hit, and it's because he's not playing the main character, finally, and it's got a second season, so yay for it. Mm. And then Unreal, which is starring Sherry Appleby and Constance Zimmer, and was created by... Marty Noxon of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame. And there you go. Sa- yep, there's my Buffy reference for the day. And, there it is. Yep. And Sarah Gruchid Shapiro. Uh, it's based on the real-life experiences of Shapiro, who worked on The Bachelor as a producer. And it's based on... It's about uh, Rachel, who plays by Sherry Appleby, who's kind of this unhinged producer on a fake dating show called Everlasting. And she has, like, this talent for ni- manipulating people, despite, like, she has greater um, ambitious goals, like saving AIDS babies in Africa or something. But she kind of gets seduced by the toxic draw of reality TV programming and her executive producer played with great charming cynicism by Constance Simmer. Um, And it's kind of everything that we say that we hate about shows in this podcast, but I really loved it. It's addicting. Well, I hear it really, like, subverts the, the genre of, like, of what dating shows are. and Oh, it definitely subverts it. It, it also gives us some of the greatest an- female anti-heroes on TV. Um, we have more of a rich culture now because, like, Jessica Jones came out, but it was definitely, like, one of the forefront of that whole wave that we've had. So, um, Also, it aired on the same night as The Bachelor, which was just hilarious. It was completely trolling The Bachelor. I great. love it. I already love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third one... I know you guys probably expected this one. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Big Bang, the K-pop boy band that I've been obsessed with. I haven't actually talked about it that much on this podcast, but both Willoughby and Anya follow me on Tumblr. Oh boy, yep, we sure do. I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> I basically we vlog a bunch of pictures and videos and gifts of them every day. But, yeah. you know... I will say that if I have a weakness for boy bands because Bachelor Boys was my thing for a long time. But I will say that they actually have a lot of substance to them. They've been together for about 10 years now, which is wow. a long amount of time in especially the K-pop boy band world, which most, most bands disband after like five years or four years. And the pre- reason is they have like really great individual personalities. Like they're very distinctive. And they also each have successful solo careers. Like they will go off and do solo work and especially G-Dragon and Taeyang are um, really successful solo artists and considered at the top of the solo artist chain, um, they still will go back to Big Bang and they have like this appreciation for that group and they're great friends, which, you know, I will say about all the boy bands I love, but <laughs> they, 
they actually um, they had a comeback because their last album was in 2012, and they released the newest album called Made in 2015, and they did this interesting promo where they released two singles every month starting in May up until August, I think. And they had like music videos with with each one, and it was like each music video and song was like almost a different genre. They um, do a lot of like EDM and hip hop. They started off as a hip hop group, but they have this great appreciation for all sorts of genres of music, and I really enjoy them despite not knowing any of the language. Um, and like you know, they're they went on tour, a world tour, which is um, their second world tour, and it was one of it's the first K-pop act actually to do a concert in North America and of course the month the weekend that they go to New York was the weekend that I got into them so I missed them completely no hopefully they come back that would be hopefully they come back but also another thing I discovered after I got into them shortly was that in Korea all men have to enlist in the military for two years oh wow yeah and um they I think like the the and the cutoff point for that is like 30 years old and they're all kind of the oldest one is 29 now and he's going to be reaching 30 soon so the youngest is 25 so like they're basically going to have to go into the military soon and they won't be back together as a group of five until for like five six years so oh no i'm so sorry I'm this really, is suddenly heartbreaking i'm really bah, sad bah. all my loves fade everything is yeah you know once you got into community that's when the bubble started to hit you know every show that i get into like it's like oh wait this might be canceled soon and of course as soon as i get into this boy band that i really love um not just for like the individuals but for their music which is surprisingly good um I just, like, they're like, oh, yeah, this is our last year. And, like, every speech and, like, concert they do, they're like, oh, we love you, our fans, so much. We probably won't see you for a while. I just got so sad. <laughs> but, you I'm know. I'm so sorry, it's HP. Okay. I'll get over it, I'm sure. I'll find another boy band, maybe. Go, I don't go, know. You can go You can go back to, bo- to Backstreet Boys. Yeah, they're, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing a new album soon, actually, so maybe that'll, that'll like, fill the hole in my heart. I'm already bracing myself. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I have two more. I'm sorry for going so long. Uh, my la- my fourth one is another Umbrella, Marvel Netflix shows. Um, I know you guys both put this in your honorable mentions, but I really love both Daredevil and Jessica Jones. I um, thought they were really great, moody, mature, and unsettling shows that were a game changer for the MCU, and I think even for superhero shows in general. Um, they told really brilliant character stories and launched, you know, tons of think pieces, especially with Jessica Jones and rape culture. Um, and really fascinating and great content written there. Going to restate that one quickly because we talked about it enough. But and quality shows. I think quality some shows. of the best media of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's great that they're on Netflix now because they really give them rain, free reign to do whatever they want. Although I really need to watch some happy David Tennant stuff now. <laughs> I know. He was, yeah, he was completely... Completely awful in Jessica and Jones in a good way. So good at it. He was his character was terrible, but it was. He's really good at being bad. Yeah, magnetic to watch. Yes. Um. Okay. And then my last one is the Hawkeye comic series by Matt Fraction. Nice. Um, Yeah. It it ended it it ended its run in July 2015. It ran for about three years, I think, and it's this wonderful. Sometimes my mundane, never boring look into the life of the Avengers Everyman, Hawkeye, who is my favorite character for reasons including Jeremy Renner, but often mostly including Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, who 
he writes him wonderfully. He's kind of like this self-destructive mess of a man who just cannot stop trying to help people. Like he always he means well. And it's just it's a like, great series. Yeah, it's a great series, yeah. wonderfully written, a great character piece, and it really goes into stuff that you won't see regularly in comics. Like there's this one issue that is told entirely from the point of view of Hawkeye's dog, which is like Pizza Dog. Yeah. Pizza Dog. And it's really charming and yeah, another issue that's told completely without any dialogue because at one point, spoilers, he goes deaf. In the history, like, Hawkeye goes deaf for a little bit. And he is, you know, aud- aud- auditorily impaired. And it was a great representation of how, you know, people with who are hard of hearing see the world. Because, you know, you know the people are talking. You see the plot, the conversation bubbles, but you don't know what's in them. So... It's a great. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way of portraying that. Mm-hmm. It's where you have comic. speech bubbles, but there's nothing in them, or mm-hmm. there's like muffled. Yeah, or like you hear, you see, like recognize a word every now and then because he can lip read, but he doesn't know everything that they're that they're saying. So it's a great comic, so charming and endearing, and completely recommend. And that is my top five for 2015. I want to I want to give a special shout out to um, Hawkeye as well. Just because, like, I want to say that HG's a really big fan of Hawkeye. I really don't like MCU Hawkeye at all, mm-hmm. but I love comic Hawkeye, and especially Matt Fractions. I own the whole series. It's fantastic. Also, Kate Bishop is a oh, quality character. Yes. I didn't mention her, but she's the best character in that comic. Yeah. yeah, she's great. It's honestly about, she's the second Hawkeye, and it's honestly just not just about um, Clinton Barton, but it's about Kate Bishop. Both Hawkeyes. Yeah. It's a great series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really loved it. I, I've read the whole thing, and I thought I it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly... All right. the, oh, I will say one more thing. Oh, it's honestly the comic that got me back into reading comics regularly. Because I would I read a couple of Batman comics, and he's my favorite uh, superhero still. But uh, I never really read them regularly or anything. And Hawkeye was the one that was like, okay, comics are really interesting. And they do a lot of things that you can't do with regular books or TV. And I think I will continue to read more. So, I'll have recommendations for you afterwards. Thank you. Willoughby, why don't you go next? Okay, so my top five begins with Aziz Ansari's television show, Master of None, at my number five. Uh, I, I talked about this on the podcast when it came out a couple months ago. Um, but I really, really loved it. I've sat on it for a, a little bit now. And I thought I think that every episode has has its uh, brilliance. Every episode is a different theme. It takes on something different. Uh, you've got the same characters throughout dealing with different issues, like uh, Indians acting on television and movies, uh, to immigrant parents, to feminism, to just fun relationship issues. Uh, the whole thing is just. It, it's just like a mini movie every episode of something that this character played by Aziz Ansari, Dev, uh, he's going through basically the end of his twenties or, or the very beginning of his thirties. And he's trying to, he's, he's not a, he's not one of these arrested development, arrested developed guys, uh, man childs that, um, is po- that was popular with like Will Ferrell's character in old school and stuff like that. This guy, he, he he's trying his best to, to live in a, 
live a, a mature life, but he, he himself is kind of immature. But that's all right, because most people have that sort of complexity to them. And I really like what they what they do with that and how they explore modern life from the point of view of someone who's not a white guy. Uh, it's really great. Awesome. I haven't finished it yet, but from what I've seen, it's really great. Yeah. Uh, um, so my number four is Mad Men series finale. Uh, I don't know. Do you, did you guys watch Mad Men when it was on? I did not. I, did I not. watched the first season and a half, and I couldn't really get into it, but I will probably finish it at some point. And Anya, you said no? I did not know. Yeah. So I, I've been watching this show since 2010. Uh, I came home from college during winter, and my mom and I just marathoned like the first three seasons, and I've been following, following, following with it since then. So in... In May, they they had the the series finale of the show, and I thought it, they did a really great job of of wrapping up stories of the of the main characters and telling uh, a good a good finale episode too. Not just wrapping up stories, but having some some great character development for Don Draper's character at the same time. Um, and I thought John Hamm very much very much deserved the Emmy. Uh, for the final episode, uh, and Elizabeth Olsen, not Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Elizabeth Moss, she was great as Peggy Olsen, uh, and, uh, just her story completed in a very interesting way, and Christina Hendricks' character did too, they all, it was all, it was a really great finale in all, in all senses, like, uh, there was, you, you, you see where the characters are going, but you also have the uh, the end of what they what the what they've been doing in the '60s, and now it's the '70s. So it's really interesting. Uh, it was really interesting writing, and really interesting. Uh, it was also a departure from like every episode of Mad Men. Uh, it was very much about nature and hippie uh, culture that has kind of been at the simmering on the on the forefront of Mad Men the entire time, but uh, they really went into it with this uh, this episode. So I would give Mad Men series finale my number four top spot. Alright. So, yeah. Uh, I know you guys don't watch it, so you probably don't have much to comment on, so that's fine. I'll breeze <laughs> past that. Uh, so my number three, I think you guys will have something to talk about. Uh, the Parks and Rec series finale. Dang uh, it, you took one of mine. Ah! I really, I I really cried during that finale more Same. so than any other TV show in a while. Um, there was a quote that uh, Leslie Nope used in one of her final speeches to her Parks and Rec crew that I used in my final farewell speech as general manager of ATV, Aww. the college television station uh, that I was a part of for four years in college. <laughs> And when she said that quote, it was it's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, I really just lost it. I was like, oh man, it was because it not only did it bring up the feelings I had for the show that I've been following for a couple for forty five years, four or five, not forty five. Uh, <laughs> it also brought up all the feelings I had of when I was general manager of ATV and and ending and how that ended. It ended on a positive note. As well as Parks and Rec did, but it, it 
a lot of bittersweet, sad, happy feelings at the same time. And I, I found it really interesting that uh, the writers of that show and I chose the same Teddy Roosevelt quote to, uh, to, to use in a farewell speech or a farewell, like, monologue or something. So, I don't know. I, the Parks and Rec finale, I really loved the, the story that it told and the story and the and how it was just all about the characters and it was very much about where these characters came from and where they're going and what they're going to do and what they are now um and i really loved that i really loved andy and april's characters uh sorry their their story and and uh what happened to them in the future and i i also really loved the 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 like how they told the story of using flash forwards is almost it was very lost like but um it didn't end with we have to go back uh (laughs) i think it was the perfect ending for a really optimistic and joyful show like parks and rec even though personally i thought it was a little bit too sweet at some points like i was not a big fan of the the time jump but I really did, like, the characters really shined in all of it, and, like, they stayed true to all the characters. Um, so, and I don't think, like, I, there's still a hole left in my heart where Parks and Rec is, and I don't think there's any show that has really replaced that. Even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is doing great, and has, like, a lot of the same character types. But it's types. not the same type of positivity. It's not the same, yeah. Yeah. yeah I must agree. I, lo- I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's doing its best, but it's no Parks and Rec. No, I agree. Um... I will say a little bit more about Hark and Rec when I get to mine, but I also really love the series finale. Okay. All right, so my my number two is Mad Max Fury Road, which HT you talked about, and you had a lot of the same feelings that I had for it. So I'll just go back past that. And my number one is Star Wars, and not just the Force yep. Awakens, but what uh, what Star Wars was in 2015. Mm-hmm. It was they had. Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim with four days of live coverage from like from Verizon that you could live stream, which I think is unprecedented. I don't think they did that for anything that they've done that for like any big Comic Con type of uh, events and stuff. So I really loved like you know, and the trailer hit that second trailer hit Star Wars Celebration and. 88 million views the, the in 24 hours on YouTube and then when the third trailer premiered in in October uh, on Monday Night Football the YouTube video after that for that in 24 hours had like over like 124 million views in in that one day like it's incredible with what's going on uh with with what happened with uh Star Wars in 2015 like they were it, it's been a slow build since Lucas Lucasfilm was acquired by Disney, but and they really hit the ground running in 2015 with like the marketing for Star Wars: The Force Awakens. It really, to use the the off-expressed uh, quote, it really was awakened <laughs> this year. Um, you know, I think that you know, Force Friday, September 4th, like everyone lined up for for the new merchandise. Like that doesn't happen for any other franchise any other series like you don't line up right away for star trek toys or for uh um like i'm trying to think of another like james bond like no one does midnight premieres or of of merchandise like star wars does it's i think it was pretty like a whole force friday thing like Mm -hmm. that's just incredible 
Yeah, and it's really unique to Star Wars, and I think that they they really like throughout the the year of 2015, they really took their time to like kind of really put their foot down and make the put the uh, lay the groundwork for a new generation of Star Wars fans to really enjoy the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and like it kept, I kept thinking in my head, you know, there's an eight year old who just saw the force awakens. And this was their first star Wars for the first time in, in their lives. And they're probably in love with it. Like eight year olds were in 1977 with the mm-hmm. first star Wars. Like it wasn't the, the, a New Hope wasn't an origin story. It well, it was, but it also threw you deep into the middle of a conflict that's that was going on years prior, uh, and the, the same thing happened with The Force Awakens. And I think that you could, because you're coming at it from an outsider perspective with Luke or with Ray or with Finn, you get this, you know, accessibility to the story. And I think that uh, they really did a good job of laying the groundwork this year for those kids to, when they see the movie, to to then fall in love with Star Wars like everyone else has in prior movie cycles. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really think Star Wars is my number one because I think that it just dominated the top the po- the top pop culture uh, events and stuff of the year where it was just all Star Wars all the time, and I'm I'm always grateful for Star Wars. That's awesome. Yeah. Great list, Willoughby. <laughs> Thank you. All right. all right, Anya, what is your top five? All right, um, so there are some overlaps, um, so I'll kind of get to those quickly. Um, I also have Mad Max Fury Road on mine, which I just want to say the fact that that's on all of our top fives, we... It needs to have some Oscar love this year, I think. I'm like... I'm pushing for that. It was chosen as that the. It was chosen as the number one movie by what foundation was it, or like um, the National Board of Review. National Board of Review. Yes. yes. So I think that's. I think it's really promising. I'm really hoping for that. Um, I, it was a phenomenal film. I think it took everyone by storm and really surprised them. I love how feminist it was, mm-hmm. and I loved all the think pieces that came out of that about how feminist it was. That's fantastic to me. I think it had some really good points and messages about women and women in Hollywood and female characters in the movie. It was thrilling. I just really love Mad Max. So many women speaking to each other on screen. Right? And, like, cinematography was gorgeous. The action was great. The music was great. Um, I love it. I want that black and white silent version to come out. Um, (laughs) There's a rumor that the black and white one might come out in theaters actually next year. Ooh, I would go see that. That would be cool. Same, I would go see that in a heartbeat. Yeah, and Um, and also uh, just like how Mad Max himself was like a minor character. Like I just found that pretty really really, but still a great character. Good old yeah, still great, Mm -hmm. still great. But you know, to use to use a a a, a popular phrase, he stayed in his lane. (laughs) Absolutely, he did. I love me some Dad Max. Um, and Tom Hardy is great always. I really love Tom Hardy. Dad Max. Are you guys sorry. laughing about Dad Max? Yeah. Good old Dad Max. Um, all right, so my next one is another movie. And it's a movie that got well-reviewed. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be on anyone's radars. But it's a movie that really, I think, is important to me and really touched me this year. And that would be the live-action Cinderella movie. Mm. And... 
it's partly because I'm a big Disney fan. It's also because Cinderella as a character means a lot to me. But I just thought it was a gorgeous, decadent film with a wonderful t- story and beautifully directed by Kenneth Branagh. I think it added a lot of depth to this fairy tale. And similar to Mad Max, I think it was a really great film for women and had some great messages for women. Um, and also, in general, just for people who have been abused and live in hard situations and the idea to stay positive throughout all of it and to have courage and be kind. So a little bit sappy, but that's me. I'm a sappy person and Cinderella means a lot to me. So that movie has stuck with me all this year and I think will continue to do so. So I really love Cinderella. Um, my third one is just as Willoughby mentioned, the Parks and Rec series finale. Um, Everything that Willoughby said is absolutely true. It it never got too sweet for me, but as I just mentioned, I'm a very, like, saccharine, sappy person. Mm-hmm. So I loved all of that. I think I'm still upset of how NBC kind of screwed them over. I don't like that they didn't get a proper send-off the way that, like, The Office and 30 Rock did. Mm. Um, I think I'll always be a little bitter about that. But the the finale, like, this whole series finale, the last season that we did get was wonderful. I think was beautiful character storytelling. And like you guys mentioned, like, there's a Parks and Rec-shaped hole in our hearts. And I'm not sure it ever will be filled. I'm not sure another show can ever be like Parks and Rec. I don't think there will ever be a protagonist like Leslie Nope. And I don't think I will ever have a show that is so positive and feels like a warm hug. Mm-hmm. And... Parks and Rec means a lot to me, and so I think it was a good send-off, but the network should have done more for it. Little upset about that still. NBC is always treated its uh, TV shows with a weird disrespect. Yeah. Yeah. You know what they should have brought back for the finale? Mark. (laughs) Mark Brandanowitz. (laughs) Good old Mark. Some people don't like Mark Brandanowitz. I'm okay with him. I think he he brought something to the show that was, like, very grounded – uh, in a in a character in a in a show of characters that were very not over the top, but just like his personality, his his personality was a almost lack of personality. Yeah, I didn't care for him. I thought he was too caustic. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm not a big Mark fan. Um, but Parks and Rec as a whole, I yeah, I think it's one of the best shows in the past several years, and by far and away one of my favorite shows of all time. So I'm very sad that it's gone, but I like the time that we had with it. Mm-hmm. All right, my number two is it was one of Willoughby's honorable mentions, and that would be Hamilton, the hip hop rap founding father musical by Lin Manuel Miranda. Which I almost wanted to make it an honorable mention because it will definitely make my top five again next year. I like I already know that because I'm seeing it in June, and I think seeing it will take everything to a whole another level. <laughs> but just the soundtrack itself. I'm reading the Ron Chernow biography. Um, having Lynn Manuel Miranda just be, just exist and just be. be here and have everyone embrace this musical, I think just that alone has had a huge impact uh, in 2015. The soundtrack is absolutely brilliant. I love learning more about it. I feel like every time I listen to the soundtrack, I notice something new, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Either like a new like character bit or like a new rhyme or a new, like, meaning for a, a certain line in a song. And that's incredible to me that it has so many layers that you can listen to it so many times and you can still get so much out of it. And 
I think it was one of the best, I think one of the best pop culture things probably in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Probably. I think Hamilton is going to have a huge impact on pop culture in general. It's going to be really interesting. It. It's going to be really interesting when it's going to be like in high schools and colleges, and like right? people put it put it on like they do for like Les Mis or Into yeah. the Woods or something like that. History teachers are, are going to start using it now to get kids interested in history, which is like yeah, which is a phenomenal great. thing. Yeah, which is yeah, great. And so I, great. I hope um, they, I, David, I hope they do a movie, like a movie version of it. I would be down for that. I'd be so down for that. Oh, Anya. Also, a better win the Tony. I think it, like, it has to. I don't think anything else can even come close. But until it, like, wins the Tony next year, I'm just going to be sitting here going, like, it better win the Tony. <laughs> oh, Anya, did to. I tell you that I listened to... I didn't listen to the full soundtrack, but I listened to some of the songs. I heard the two cabinet rap battles. Yes! Um, the, what was the one with uh, Eliza and her sister's, like... Uh, her is it the song. Skyler sisters? No, not the Skyler sisters. It's the sister song about being sad about her about Hamilton marrying Eliza. Oh, Satisfied. Oh, satisfied. That's a great song. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, Angelica's amazing. Eliza's my girl. Eliza Hamilton, Eliza Skyler Hamilton is like everything to me. I love her. So her songs, Helpless and Burn, mm-hmm. are like my favorite songs. But yeah, Satisfied is also top notch. Great song. And you also, need to listen to the whole thing, HD. I will. Yeah, I really like. You need to. Um, the room where it happens too. That was a good song. Oh, it's such a good. Song. Yes, it is really good, and you will laugh so hard at all the King George songs. They're like all breakup songs with America. That's amazing. It's so <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. All right. So my number one thing is it's a little bit different. Hmm. Uh, it's a little little different. It is Disneyland's 60th anniversary. So, Disneyland turns 60 this year. It has its Diamond Jubilee celebration. Oh. And I, I went for three days. I stayed at the Disneyland Hotel with a friend of mine, and I got to embrace all of it. And I think what it is is that it's no secret on here that I'm a big Disney fan. But even more than that, I'm also a big Disney Parks fan. I love the Disney Parks. I've been going since I was probably 18 months old. You worked there for a little bit. I worked. I worked at Walt Disney World. I did the Disney College program in Disney World for a year after I graduated college. And it really is like a second home to me. Like, there is... I love traveling and I love taking the world, but like, there's no place that's quite as magical for me as like Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Um, And I know that it can be cool for some people to like not like them or whatever, but I love Disney parks, and they mean a lot to me, and so being able to go for the 60th anniversary and spend three days there and really embrace it and kind of see how far the park has come and just how wonderful it still is meant a lot to me, and so I think that Disneyland 60th this year was really cool and definitely one of the big highlights of the year for me. So that's my top five. Okay, well... Those are our top five pop culture things, movies, TV, books, Disney worlds uh, for <laughs> 2015. Uh, please let us know if you disagree or agree with any of our choices through our Twitter, the Twitter and Facebook. But before we wrap up, um, I want to talk about this podcast with you guys. And thank you for joining us, me, Anya and Willoughby, and directly to Anya and Willoughby. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> it's it's been the best. I yeah. love it, and I, I'm excited for what the next year brings. I've loved this mm-hmm. this whole past like three four months of doing this. Yeah, it's just been great. We didn't really 
we kind of just started this, not really on a whim, but it was like a cool idea. And we're so happy that like we were able to continue with it and actually keep going. This is our seventh episode now. Um, and we're going to continue for the next year too, for the foreseeable future. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what the future brings. I'm excited for you all to hear more episodes and more of what we have to say. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, also thank you again like to HT and Willoughby, like you were saying, HT. Um, I'm really glad I get to do this with you guys. You guys are such great friends, and I love doing this. I love it's you really guys. rewarding. You guys are the best. I love both of you so much. This whole endeavor has been amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, well, thanks for joining us for 2015, for our top five things of 2015. Top 15, I guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I hope you join us in 2016. So, Willoughby, where can they find us on Twitter, Facebook? They can find us at Falcon Podcast on Twitter, and if you search for us as the Millennial Falcon on Facebook. And, of course, our WordPress, which is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Exactly. I Russell forgot that. We're on SoundCloud yes. and iTunes, so rate, yes. review, and subscribe to us. And then where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. And I am HTranBui on Twitter. And I am at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. All right. So have a happy right. new year. Happy holidays. Thanks for joining us, guys. All right. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.